Hey, this is Alex. You're tuned into the Market Adventures podcast. It is Tuesday, the 9th, and a few market influencers and big money movers are still bullish on the markets. They're saying that bonds are going to slow down. Kathy Woods, a favorite among millennials, expressed her bullishness and claims a broadening of the bull market. And what that means is she thinks that a lot of profits are moving away from the FANG stocks like Facebook, Amazon, Google, and is spreading out amongst more names. And her transparency for most millennials, the reason that they're attracted to her, her transparency is pretty interesting because you don't see that a lot in the financial markets. If people are being transparent in the financial markets, typically they're trying to manipulate us to take more of our money. Uh, So I decided to listen to her last YouTube video post and give you guys some major takeaways. Stay tuned. Quick check-in on our watch list. BBY, Best Buy, pushed up nicely on some decent volume. Uh, Another green day, and we might actually see the indicators set up completely for a run, right? All the indicators are moving as exactly as we want, right? They're turning. They're beginning to cross, but they haven't crossed quite yet. But another green day, and we should see the MACD, uh, DMI start to cross, and the RSI is moving nicely. UPS got rejected on the breakout and is likely going to come down to test the support level at 155, but that's okay. AT&T, which is my baby, I mean, I feel like I've been talking about AT&T for months now while I was sitting at a very disappointing range, and I was still buying it really heavily. But as you can see, the rotation to value stock has really benefited AT&T, and it's still a great company. Um, It was just being weighed down by a lot of the profits going into other company, a lot of cash going into other companies. Now, we're okay with Peloton, Neil, and Walmart are still getting beat up a little bit, but we're okay with that. Why? Because the companies still have good fundamentals, right? They're still good companies. So the cheaper they go, the better it is for our long term. Now, back to Kathy Woods. Kathy, in her report, she sees the biggest growth in electric vehicles. She's saying like an 82% annualized growth over five years, which is nuts. But she's saying that it's more than just individuals driving electric vehicles. She's seeing that transform ride sharing um, between people driving and autonomous vehicles driving. And this is all coming through EV. And she also says that China's recent push, now they're getting their government involved in subsidizing the EV, Um, moving into that space makes it a big deal. Likely, when you have, like, uh, when companies move into India, China, and the U.S., those are some of the biggest markets on the planet. So when you see something like China, which is the large, which is probably the biggest producer of anything right now, um, jump into something, it it increases the profitability of that market. Now, she's part of the ETF space, and she says that the ecosystem is very liquid and efficient, and a lot of millennials are jumping on the ETF train too, because a lot because of Kathy Woods. Now, what I really like that she said, institutions and retail look at investing in a much different way. And it almost seems like retail um, and those big-time investors who think like retail 
have a much bigger advantage than institutions, which I like that approach. Now, what she's saying is most institutions are not set up to even be able to analyze a stock like Tesla, right? They have no idea how to analyze a stock like Tesla because it doesn't fit the benchmarks. Now, Tesla, as we know, was not part of the S&P 500 until this year or, well, late last year, right? And that's one of their benchmarks. So before it got on the benchmark, a lot of possibilities for gains were there. And that goes with a lot of these companies that a lot of um, growth is happening with the companies that aren't on part of the S&P 500. And there are crazy amounts of possibilities for growth and um, profits because they're not part of the benchmarks. A lot of institutions don't even know how to analyze them because they have nothing to base them against, right? Analysts at big institutions... They're focused on uh, industries that are already mature, like the car industry, the financial industry. Electric vehicles came a lot faster than they projected. Electric vehicles, ride sharing, things like that came a lot faster than they projected. And institutions are using backwards metrics like the P.E. ratio, book to value. They're losing a lot of those things through algorithms to make their investment decisions and to move their money around. Where something like Tesla, again, great company, um, again, wasn't part of the benchmark for a while, but obviously was very favorable amongst the investing space, would not have fit any of those metrics. So the algorithm would have missed playing with Tesla on the bullish side. Now, she's also saying uh, in the future, and we'll get to this later, that these benchmarks that the institutions are using their algos to make their uh, money decisions it's going to lead to a lot of value traps because uh, the future and the new technologies are not fitting these benchmarks. And a lot of the value companies that they would otherwise invest in do fit the, the benchmarks, but those are the companies that are being disrupted, right? So if it wasn't obviously, you know, Ford and GM made adjustments, but had they not, the algos would have pit Ford and GM against Tesla. Right, And Tesla would not have made the cut where if they had invested in those value stocks, if the institutions had invested in those values, expecting the business cycle to turn over as it used to and the cyclical stocks to get back in favor, they would have missed Tesla and Tesla would have pummeled them. But obviously, you know, Ford and GM have made their adjustments. They've made their commitment to, to, to EV. So um, the algos will be OK. But that's that that's the thing. Later on, if some of these companies don't make adjustments, but they fit the algorithm for value, uh, underpriced value stocks like price to book, P.E., using those to compare against the the P.E. ratio of the S&P 500 and things like that, if these big institutional investors keep doing that, they'll get trapped by value companies who seem underpriced, but they're only declining, right? They're not underpriced. They're just declining because they're getting killed by companies like Tesla and Uber and Planter, etc. So that's an interesting take that she mentioned. And again, retail investors and non-institutional investors but who are money managers, they don't use or they don't have to use those metrics. They don't have to use backwards metrics, right? They can look years out into the future without having any issue um, going against those metrics because they're looking at um, I guess you would say they're looking a lot at the fundamentals because, um, or the potential for increased and better fundamentals in these growth stocks over like a five to 10 year period, right? They have the 
we as retail traders have the ability to look forward, right? So un unfortunately, we don't have billions of dollars to move around and things like that and insider information and, you know, getting the news before everybody else. But we do have the benefit of being able to look further into the future that a lot of institutional investors don't have that ability. Now, um, she also said another benefit of being a retail investor versus institution, institutions constantly have to measure themselves against the likes of the S&P 500 every single year, right? So they have to move their money in a way that they are trying to beat or measure with the S&P 500 every single year, where retail investors and, um, you know, some small-scale institutions like she runs and manages money for don't have to. We can look out years, and we don't care what happens in the near term. We can lose and do much worse than S&P 500 for the next four years but if we're thinking exponential, like investing in Tesla when it was $200, right? Yeah, Tesla's doing worse than S&P right now, but exponential growth, and we see what happened in the last two years with Tesla. Um, institutional analysts, and I, this is more, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what she said. Institutional analysts are very specialized, and that's what we talked about before. They use you know, prior benchmarks. Um, in addition to falling to value traps, uh, institutions are going to have a hard time keeping up with uh, non-institutional investors or institutional investors who are more forward-thinking because platforms now are more intertwined. Where technology and, uh, let's say, technology and transportation weren't as intertwined before, now they work simultaneously. Where energy and transportation, um, they interacted with each other, now they are necessary in order for each other to go together. So now platforms and industries are not just, you know, interacting. They're becoming one. They're merging together, right? They're constantly having a cross-communication with each other. And she's saying if you don't have teams set up that have analysts in each different area always working together to make sure that you're making the right investment decisions, institutional analysts uh, that are, uh, you know, really um, specialized in one area are going to put institutions in bad positions because they don't understand the interplay between all these different platforms. Now, this, she answered a very big change that uh, people have been talking about for the last couple of weeks, and she also answered it on um, on an interview interviews uh, yesterday. She said that we're not in a bubble, right? We're not in a bubble just because the benchmarks say we are, right? She's saying that the benchmarks cause fear. And institutional investors use the benchmarks to measure whether or not there is a, a frothiness in the market, right? Um, and over um, an overexcitement in terms of retail traders and investors really pushing the market and running it too hot. Uh, she's in agreement, essentially, with Jay Powell, uh, our federal chair, who is not raising rates because he sees what she sees, that there's just a rotation. We're not in a bubble, and these benchmarks aren't necessarily as accurate because there are other things to worry about that are more important than these old-school metrics, right? She uh, talked about the tech bubble and essentially said that what happened in the tech bubble was because a lot of those companies were too soon, and there was frothiness, but there's frothiness without reality, and that now, with the exception of Amazon, but that now a lot of this um, hot money, a lot of this excitement 
is for the reality. It's for the Teslas. It's for, you know, the SpaceXs. It's for the Ubers and the Lyfts and autonomous vehicles and things like that. The excitement is for a reason because it's all reality. The disruptions are happening. It's not just hearsay. So it's not a bubble because it's all real. There's something uh, physical behind it. Um, and the idea that the the research and the transformations are all the same, and it's essentially saying, you know, buy the dip. If we're going to have burnouts and we're going to have a lot of market sell-off, she's really a buy the dip person when it comes to growth because she is so uh, tied to the research and really believes in it that she's planning five years into the future. And she really insists that we're not in a bubble. She also says that uh, bonds are showing a real, that real growth is here. And that's what we talked about in the, in the last couple of seconds, right? That even though bond rates are going up, that's only showing that the reality of what's happening with these equities is very real. You know, people are willing to invest in these um, high growth, high octane uh, equities and stocks and securities and less into bonds because they're seeing the growth because these, these platforms, these industries are very, very real now. Um, and uh, we talk about the stimulus because it's Tuesday. We're expecting it to be signed by the House. Um, we talk about stimulus, and a lot of people have said this, stimulus and pumping money to the system, somebody has to pay for the money. So it's looking at future taxation as it relates to stimulus and that the future taxation is pretty much guaranteed and it's going to increase the more we um, pump out money to the system. And it could be good, it could be bad, but where the taxation comes from is very important. Now, um, an interesting thing I, I didn't know that she said that I, that's inter- that I mean I guess I gotta I have to get used to paying attention to elections because I never really cared much for elections, but that next year is a congressional election year. So the closer we get to next year, the better it is in terms of avoiding taxation because the House is close between Democrats and Republicans. So right now that uh, Democrats run the House and the Senate, they can pass pretty much anything if they work together. If the House turns red next year, it's going to be much harder to pump money into the system because Republicans obviously don't like to keep, um, uh, they don't like to change things very much. So we're looking at um, a decreased amount of, you know, overstimulating the economy next year. So that was super interesting as well. Again, I have to get used to paying attention to election years. I didn't in the past, but it, it does coincide so much with the markets. And now that I'm in the markets, I have to learn these outside factors that are really, really important. Now, something else that, again, is interesting, and we've talked about it, is that, you know, realizing in 2020 how how algorithms, how computers play into the market. And this is something that we're we're seeing a shift, or we've seen a shift over the last you know decade or so, into the importance of technical analysis, right? Because fundamental analysis plays a lot into the individual companies, or technical analysis playing into emotions and you know set price points and sell orders and buy orders and trigger uh, trigger stops and things like that being put in because of technology. The twenty twenty sell off. Everything got, I mean, everything. And it's a funny mention that the fact that companies that had the solution or played a part in the solution to coronavirus still got sold off. 
shows that algorithms still have, you know, holes in them. That if they get triggered, they'll sell anything. <laughs> um, because you sell off something like Walmart, Walmart is a clear winner to a close down, right? You know, McDonald's uh, drive through restaurants are clear winners in terms of the food space. Something like Uber Eats, is a clear, like there are things that are clear winners to something like J&J, uh, Biotechs. Things that are clear winners in a situation like that were still sold because the market has so much algorithm in it. And if you're somebody who hears that, you should cue into that because it's super important to understand technical analysis because as the market moves more uh, towards algorithms, the more you can time these algorithms using technical analysis, right? As we see right now with the bonds, there's a lot of sell-offs happening, even though growth is very real, because again, we're triggering algorithms that respond to bond rates, okay? Lastly, and I'm going to throw this out there, and again, I'm throwing this because I think it's, again, a very important part of her, her talk, which is 40 minutes long. Um, this episode is only, you know, 20 minutes, so obviously I'm not talking about everything. But she mentioned two of the biggest opportunities out there, energy and financial. These two sectors have run up a lot in the last couple, I would say, weeks, um, but the fact that they're running up because of the value rotation is important because those two companies are two of the biggest, those two sectors are two of the biggest sectors being disrupted, right? We have energy where we have oil running up, but we have the reality that electric vehicles and alternative energies are going to be the way of the future moving forward, right? The financials, the fact that the banks are rising when we have companies like Square, creating their own bank, right? Creating these digital wallets, right? Crypto. We have all these things moving into the forefront, and yet we have financials rising uh, very fast in the last couple weeks. And the idea that these rises won't last. Right now, the rotations is such that we are getting we are getting some um, algorithms and computers playing into the rotation. We have some retail investors playing into the rotation as well, trying to get some scalps of money uh, through trading, um, and we have some old school institutional investors putting their money behind oil because they feel like you know they're resistant to change. But the idea that okay, well, regardless of how things move in the short term, those two sectors, energy and financial, are the biggest company, biggest sectors that are going to be dis disrupted. So she's saying those are the biggest opportunity, and I agree with her. Um, I've invested in you know Fisker and Workhorse. Um, you know, workers got kicked, got his butt kicked a little bit, but Fisker and Workhorse. Um, I love Square. Square was on the watch list a couple of weeks ago. It still is on a watch list. You just gotta wait for it to time up. PayPal. There are companies out there that are super important to pay attention to because, in the energy and the financial space, like she said, I mean, those are gonna get flipped on their heads because of the advent of technology. Now, there's more cash out there than there was in recent years. Re retail investors with, um, you know, broker mobile apps serving as brokerages. There's a lot of money out there. And we can see a lot of rebalancing uh, and reallocation and movement of cash from, you know, these stodgy old companies and moving them from industries that are dying into, you know, more growth equities. And if the rates keep going up, 
into bonds as well. So those are some of the stuff that Kathy was talked about or in the know. Again, this is only a synopsis of it. You can go and listen to it yourself on YouTube. It's about 40 minutes long, but I thought I would break it down for you because I know a lot of us on here are millennials or close to millennials, um, and I wanted you to get a breakdown of it if you do like Kathy Woods um, because some of this information is pretty important in understanding market sentiment. Right? You don't have to go out there and buy everything she buys, but it's important to understand the mindset and the thought and the breakdown of all these different things in a very short amount of time. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I have a big announcement to make. I've created a newsletter where I'll be communicating with subscribers about stock picks, more education, and market analysis. Now, if you're interested in getting the newsletter, at least once a month, I'll be producing them. More than likely, I'll be producing them more often because I love doing these little watch lists. But at least once a month, you'll get a, a, a newsletter from me. Click the link in the description. It's marketadventures.substack.com. Uh, Go there, subscribe, share with friends and family. But there, again, I'll be posting stuff. You'll be able to comment, ask questions, all those things. Now, it doesn't matter who you're following, be it Kathy Woods, be it me and the stocks I talk about on this show. You want to make sure you do, do your due diligence. Always do research for yourself and understand before you invest, right? That's the key. Understand before you invest. Now, good luck out there trading. May the odds be ever in your favor. And remember, as you begin searching for answers to life's challenges, don't seek security. Seek adventure.